more people than ever are becoming caregivers for elderly or ill parents. But what happens when you have to step up and take care of your parents when you've barely had time to start your own life as an adult? That's a situation one millennial-aged Detroiter has found herself in when her father suffered a sudden stroke. Angelina Taylor was attending college to become a teacher when she became her father's full-time caregiver. Taylor has since earned her master's degree and the crown of Miss Midwest Captivating 2020. She's the focus of a new podcast from the Ralph C. Wilson Foundation called Tight Knit. I spoke with her about how life has changed since taking on the responsibilities of her father's caregiver. Um, it came as a surprise. The first illness was a few years prior to him having his stroke. So I had lived in Florida, in Orlando, Florida for a few months doing the Disney college program end of 2010 to the beginning of 2011. Um, he's had some minor health issues over the years. And I think then it was something, I believe it was heart related then, but you know, parents don't always tell you what's going on. So he kind of just kind of kept a lot of things hush or, you know, even following up with him with his doctors and everything, you know, the doctors weren't expecting anything major. And then after he came back, we both went on trips in 2015. So I love to travel. So I went on a trip with my friends for my birthday, September of 2015. And he left for Oregon maybe like the day after I came back and then once he came back he had been complaining about having headaches and whatnot and then um that you know consistent off persisted off and on for a few weeks and then um the middle of October once I had started my midterms for my first year at grad school he um you know was sitting down complaining of a huge bad headache and I kept telling him you know hey you should probably go get that checked out because you've been telling me you know you haven't been feeling well off and on you know we don't want anything you don't want it to be serious and you're not really looking looking into it so he said that he would but he was taking my aunt to the doctor um that following morning but he said that he would end up following up with his doctor I came home home from work um I kind of made a couple of stops afterwards I was working as a behavior technician at the time so a lot of times you know we would shop around to see if we saw little toys or anything that you know, our kids would like to play with during our sessions. And I was looking for, you know, different things to take to work, but nothing was standing out. I'm like, you know, well, I'll just come back to the store this, you know, later this week or whatever. I stopped at the grocery store to pick up dinner. I kept, you know, trying to call him and he didn't answer and he's real picky about what he eats. So, you know, wasn't really feeling that great. It was, or I go pick something up and he doesn't like it and I back out. So I called, called, no answer didn't go in the store. Um, I went straight home, got home, brought the mail in, found him in bed. And, you know, I'm thinking he's just asleep because a lot of times I would come home for school and he'd be asleep. And, um, you know, I'm setting the mail down and I thought I'd awakened him because I, you know, noticed his eyes opened. And, you know, I was like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to wake you. I'm just steady talking to him. He's not responding. And so he's a big jokester. Um, so I was assuming he was just like kind of messing around, messing with me. And the closer I got to him, I walked over to the bed and, um, you know, started kind of like messing with him, started poking at him. And when I, you know, dragged my arm, you know, to turn away, he was able to grab my wrist and he squeezed my hand. And I looked at him and I could see where 
the right side of his face was kind of drooped a little bit and he wasn't able to vocalize. And I'm like, oh my God, he's having a stroke. And we had literally just learned about, I had heard, you know, what symptoms to look out for before, but we had just done like our CPR and first aid training at my job, maybe like a week or so before that. So I already knew, you know, I had to call 911, told them I thought he was having a stroke and they immediately rushed him to the hospital. When he was in the hospital and especially after he, the, the staff discharged him, did the doctors and nurses, did, did they tell you about the severity of his condition and, and, and what they suggested you should do? They pretty much just suggested, you know, a course of physical therapy. He went from um, the hospital to a rehabilitation facility. They, you know, they didn't feel that he was ready to come home. They said he needed to go to rehab first and get, you know, a few skills, get some of his skills up, get some of his strength back before he got home. Um, but then once he got discharged from there, uh, they just kind of were like, you know, it would take physical therapy, occupational therapy, he would really have to work at it. But um, there was mixed, uh, there was mixed feelings and mixed opinions about what his prognosis would be as far as if he would recover. Um, there was different opinions on, you know, based on his age and based off of severity. A lot of the doctors were saying, you know, he could, you know, he would be able to regain mobility. Some were not so sure about that. He did regain his speech because he lost his speech initially. Um, but he's, you know, regained his speech, hasn't had any memory loss. He's gradually getting a lot of his, you know, a lot of strength back in his a weakened limbs. He has complete right-sided weakness, but he's unable to walk. He's unable to use his right arm. Um, while he's at the doctor and he's sitting up, you know, either on, if he's, excuse me, he's sitting in his chair, he can, you know, lift his leg. If they ask him to lift up his leg, he can lift his arm a bit, but he can't functionally use either. And it takes a lot for him to be able to get those motions going to actually walk. Um, I wish there were more programs that were more rigorous and that they didn't have so many restrictions on what they can do and how things are authorized, because I feel like if there wasn't a cap on the amount of services that they could, that people could get, he would be walking by now. Wow. And at this time, what was going on in your head? I was scared. The initial time that you know everything was going on like my mind was racing it was just kind of like you know I was afraid um I was afraid you know what would happen I was afraid to lose him I lost my mom when I was in high school like a couple months before I graduated from high school so it's kind of like you know he's my only parent left I don't know what this means like what's happening a lot of the stuff that the doctors were telling me when he was in the hospital was so foreign to me and I didn't understand you know they needed to put in a peg tube um, you know, into his stomach so he'd be able to get his nutrients because he wasn't able to swallow. And I had no idea what that looked like. I had different people saying, don't let them do surgery on him. It sounds like it's unnecessary, but then it's like, you know, you look it up, it's a very necessary thing for him to be able to, you know, eat and take in nutrients. So it's kind of like different people, other people being scared, pulling you in a different direction. You're not really knowing what to trust with doctors. You hear horror stories about doctors wanting to experiment and all this other stuff. And it's like, you know, you don't really know what to trust and who to trust. Um, but thankfully, one of my uncles is a doctor um, out in California. So he was able to kind of guide me through a lot of different things and have, you know, to let me know what questions to ask for different things. Um, so it kind of, you know, would get easier. I felt more comfortable after a while being able to ask certain things. 
I wish um, I had a, you know, asked more questions as far as like what to be able to do at home instead of letting them to tell me, you know, one of his main physical therapists at his rehab facility told me that they weren't going to show me how to do a lot of his transfers because I'm so small. I'm like, you know, five, two. And they're like, oh, you're not going to be able to do X, Y, Z. So then when I got home, I'm like, well, I don't know how to get you in the bed. I don't know how to do like any of these different things. And we just kind of had to wing it <laughs> with everything. And so one of his home occupational therapists came and he's like, you know, they should have shown you how to do X, Y, Z, because if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to mess up, you know, your back, you're going to be in bad condition and you're not going to be able to take care of him. Um, so a lot of it, you know, was a lot of fear gradually turned into, you know, acceptance, kind of, you know, being able to question things a little bit better, being able to execute things a little bit better. So I'm in a more comfortable place now. It's a lot for anybody to deal with, but especially at that age that you were when this all happened, uh, while juggling your own life and you were trying to go to school uh, at this time. You have been going to school. You graduated uh, with a master's. You've been working and taking care of your father, intensely personal care uh, at that for your father. How has your relationship with your dad and with your extended family changed since this all happened? I would say that, you know, me and my dad have probably gotten closer over this time. Like, we've always been close. I've always been a daddy's girl. Um, everybody in my family knows that they're like, that's, you know, that's Ben's daughter. That's Ben's baby. You better not mess with Ben's baby. So we've, you know, always been close, but um, definitely spending more time together. Both of us were always on the go prior to. So it's like now we're, we're here. We you know, have to be in the same vicinity all the time. So it's like, you know, we get to spend a lot more time together, um, even more now, more so now. Um, my extended family, I don't think a whole lot has changed um, as far as my relationship with them. Like, I still talk to everybody. I still, you know, get a lot of uh, family checking in on us or calling or, you know, trying to see how he's doing. I wish I did have more involvement from my siblings as far as, you know, helping out with his care and stuff, which I talked about on the podcast, the tight knit podcast. Um, but I've come to accept, you know, this is the situation is what it is. Um, I can't force anybody to want to help. I can't, you know, really wave a wand and be like, you know, oh, yep, you're going to be here. You're going to do X, Y, Z. So um, I've come to accept it. I haven't learned, I haven't had anything affect our relationships directly. Um, you know, life moves on. We get what we can and, you know, just take things day by day. Well, I, you know, I, I know it was a lot going on, a lot going on for you before this pandemic began. But since this, this has all happened and, and the shutdowns, how has that changed your daily life as a caregiver? As far as COVID-19 goes, it's changed pretty significantly. We did have a hired um, care aide that was coming in. Um, and she's been with us since probably a couple of months into my dad being back home. So, you know, about four, a little over four years or so. But once COVID-19 hit, um, you know, we were both, my dad and I were just kind of like, you know, what does this mean? What is this going to look like for people coming in our home? And we both decided to play it safely um, and decided to end, you know, our sessions there. We 
silly of us to think that, you know, this would only be like a couple of weeks and, you know, well, things will go back in maybe like a month or so. And I foolishly told them, you know, yeah, we're going to wait it out a couple of weeks and then we'll call you guys back and see. And that was in March and she hasn't been back. Uh, yeah, she hasn't been back since they officially put the state on lockdown. So hopefully, um, you know, things will change once I figure out what's going on with the schools starting back because, you know, since I'm a teacher and all, so hopefully we'll still have that care back. Maybe not things, you know, are a little in the air right now. Um, I had to learn how to juggle working from home and taking care of my dad, which luckily he started his routine changed to where he was able to sleep in a lot longer. So I would be able to get away with getting some work done for a few hours and then being able to attend to what he needed. Or I would try to get certain things done for him before I just, you know, pop myself in front of the computer to, you know, sit down for work all day. But it hasn't been too much of a strain. Um, like everyone else with, you know, having to stay home and honor the stay home orders it was tough to not be able to kind of be on the go all the time or you know the day-to-day -day routine of like having the caregiver come in I know he enjoys having company and that was the limited company that we would usually have so with it just being me him and the cat here you know that can get interesting real really fast. How has becoming a caregiver changed you? Ooh, that's a that's a actually good question. I've been told from a lot of people um, that I've worked with and that, you know, a lot of people that know me that I have the patience of a saint, but <laughs> I think being in the caregiving position, you, you know, your patience is tried, you, um, you're tested on a regular basis as far as, you know, like how much, how far you're willing to go for the ones that you love, like what you know, how much you have to fight as far as like getting your loved one's needs and stuff met. Yeah, getting your loved one's needs and everything met. Um, I'm more, I see myself more as an advocate now. Before, you know, I wouldn't be hesitant to like vocalize, you know, to get things changed, you know, for the right things and whatnot. But I feel that I'm more so vocal about things that are right versus wrong and getting things done and making sure, you know, that, um, you know, my dad's taken care of. I don't mess around when it comes to him. So I'm, in essence, I've kind of like taken on like that reverse role of where he is the parent, um, you know, his child. It kind of puts you in the reverse position um, where you're advocating for, you know, your loved one as if you were their, you know, parent. But I'm not his parent. I'm his daughter and I'm advocating for, you know, his rights as an elder and um, someone who's dealing with a disability. Um, I think also it's taught me to appreciate things a lot more. A lot of people take, um, a lot of people take things for granted. So I like to, you know, I'm very grateful for him still being here, you know, the lives that we live in. I just, you know, more appreciative of a lot of things.